Welcome to Keep Calm. We would love for you to join us on Fridays from 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. Central Time. For more information, check out our website at www.faithwalking.com where you can scroll down to the Spaces for Wholeness Groups section and click on Keep Calm. You can also email us at info at faithwalking.us. Today, uh, I, I'm, we're moving away from epiphany a little bit. Uh, we've been looking at that for four weeks, and that's been fun, and it's been good. And in my own just devotional reading, <clears throat> I, uh, I read the story <clears throat> in John 8 of the woman that was caught in adultery. And I got kind of captured by the story. And I, I want to say a couple of things that, that I found to be helpful. I love reading the Gospels, and I love reading the Gospels with as much curiosity as I can muster. And I offer that as a suggestion to you to make the stories fresh. And one of the things that I'm curious about as I come to all these stories, because I'm, I'm thinking, even as I read devotionally, I'm thinking about this group and I'm thinking about applications for us. And so I, part of my curiosity is I'm reading the stories through the lens of what faith walking principles do I find in this story? And it's been really fun to do that, uh, to use my imagination a little bit. And because of that, sometimes my thoughts may be really different than thoughts you've heard before, and that's okay. Uh, and I would encourage you, even as you read scripture, just to come to it with a, with a curiosity of, okay, why this and why that? Because I, I don't, I don't know any of your. I know, I know all of you are a piece of your story, but, but I, in my own story, I grew up going to church. I grew up going uh, to Sunday school, Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, and I've heard every text that possibly could be preached preached some of them multiple times. And so when, when I come to the story of the woman caught in adultery, I've heard this, this thing preached, as many of you have. And, uh, and for the most part, I've heard it preached the same way over and over and over again. It's always the same message, always the same word, uh, always the same thing. And so coming to it with, with some curiosity uh, just helps me think about it in new and different ways. And I want to invite you to do that. But where I'd like to start today is with your involvement. Uh, well, let me, let me give one more piece of introduction. So what's fascinating about this story, because I've heard this story preached a bunch of times. And what's interesting about it is that this particular story is, is not found in all of the ancient manuscripts. It's only found in some. And as a consequence, there's debate about, okay, well, this, is, is this really scripture or was it added later? All that kind of thing, even to the place that some of the Bible commentators don't even comment on it. 
you, you go to the, a, a set of commentaries or a, a particular commentary, you pull, pull you know, John off, go to, uh, to uh, John 8, and it, and it starts with verse 8 or with some other verse. It just doesn't even, it doesn't even uh, deal with this story. And so I just want to acknowledge that, say that for me personally, that doesn't mean there isn't lessons to be learned from the story. Uh, and so I come to it with curiosity. So if you've heard this story before, if you've heard it preached, I know you've read it and, and thought about it. I, I want you to, uh, I want, I, I want you to think of what's the one thing that stands out from what you've heard about this story for you. And I'm going to begin. So every time I've ever heard this story, Here's the emphasis that I've always heard. This, is, this was always the key lesson. Drum roll. Go and sin no more. That's what I've always heard. Go, and the emphasis is on, okay, this woman was caught in adultery. She's a horrible sinner. But the real emphasis is Jesus saying to her, go and sin no more. So I wonder if some of you, the emphasis was somewhere else, and, and if so, what it was, or just in your own reading, what stands out for you? Just unmute and one thing, if you would. Well, I think it's interesting. Where was the guy? <laughs> they only brought her. Right. Exactly. Which I is, mean, yeah, it which, was that culture, but still. Yeah. Uh, no, there's tons to unpack there. Yeah. Um, I think my experience with it is the um, surprise that Jesus' uh, followers would have at his acceptance and love of her, even though the, he didn't accept and condone her behavior. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've always been struck that all the accusers walked away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I've and always questioned, I'm sorry, and I've always questioned what was Jesus writing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and most preacher, every sermon that I've ever heard about it, they speculated as to what Jesus was writing. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and the truth is we have no clue what he wrote in the sand. Yeah, yeah, I think that's always that's what I've always gotten is there's always somebody speculating on on what Jesus wrote, commandments or you know loving something like one of those things. Um, yeah, usually. So, uh, people always like to yeah speculate. I some I heard somebody suggest just this week I heard a, a lesson on this scripture um, that perhaps <clears throat> excuse me perhaps Jesus was writing the names of the accusers. Um, with the the sin that that he knows they have, right? Um, I thought that's an interesting perspective. That would yeah. make me walk away. Well, that that's kind of the way I've heard it most of the time, Judith. That, that not necessarily with the names, but just what all the sins were that they had committed. You know, I mean, and that makes sense. But but still, we don't know. Right. Uh, I think, I think too, like just the kindness of Jesus um, also gets displayed, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. just the countercultural like nature of Jesus. And, yeah. and even that, you know, even that 
comparing it from the Old Testament to the New Testament, I mean, they weren't wrong. I mean, that's what the Old right. Testament, that's what, right. that's what the Old Testament says to do. They were following right. the law. So yeah. why is Jesus not following the law here? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it's even, uh, so Courtney, I'm going to take off on that one a minute. Um, yeah, I, I, so let's just be blunt. Jesus broke the law. Jesus disobeyed scripture. It's in Deuteronomy 22, verse 22, that says if a, if a man or a woman is caught in adultery, they're to be stoned. So it's fascinating, as somebody's already mentioned, that the, that the man was totally left out, that he wasn't brought because the punishment was just the same. Uh, but but the, the scribes and the Pharisees that were wanting to trap Jesus, it's, it's also interesting to me that they knew this would trap him. So they already knew enough about Jesus to know that Jesus wasn't going to suggest that we stone this woman. And I mean, that opens up so many things for me because so many people, and, and I, I believe the Bible and I'm committed to scripture and I'm, I'm committed to all of it, but Jesus disobeyed scripture. So when we become legalist about obeying every word of scripture, not even Jesus did that. I think the other thing that really stands out is how Jesus stands in contrast to what the scripture had said in Deuteronomy from, from the time of Moses and what these scribes and Pharisees wanted him to do. Uh, a thing that, that just really stands out, and, and this is a faith-walking idea, group, and we've been talking about it in our Epiphany conversations. It's fascinating to me that the scribes and Pharisees were so caught up in proving that Jesus was wrong and that they were right, that they were willing to publicly embarrass, shame, and discredit this woman in order to prove that they were right and to trap Jesus. And I think the lesson for us there is when we get so anxious about proving that our, whatever it is that we believe is right, we can become evil. And I see it all the time. Uh, somebody would, uh, I have a group of faith walking people from Ontario, and we were, they were telling me about what was going on uh, in Ontario with the, uh, with the, uh, 18 wheeler drivers and uh, that in Ottawa they are they are like honking their horns day and night uh, in protest and they're using scripture to back that up. It's the horns of Jericho okay and and so I, I, I'm not I'm not going to debate their protest, okay I think people need to take stands. And, and have the freedom to say what they, they need to say. But this is my interpretation of what the drivers are doing. They are choosing violence 
as part of their protest. So the honking of the horns is violence. How is that violence? Well, it's violating the peace. It's breaking the wholeness. And I realize they're trying to get people's attention, but they don't care who they hurt in doing it. And one of the, one of the pastors in the group that I was discussing said that a friend or someone has a, a daughter that, that lives there that's now had to move in with somebody else in another town because she can't sleep because the, the, the noise is, is, is there constantly. And so the, the point I want to make is that when we choose violence or, you know, not just disagreement, when, when we choose to embarrass someone, shame someone, hurt someone uh, in order to prove our rightness, I believe we're out of alignment with Jesus. And I think that's what Jesus uh, is demonstrating for us in this story, that, okay, you guys are so out to get me, so committed to prove me wrong, uh, that, that you're willing to shame and embarrass this poor woman in front of, of the, whole, the whole community. So now the whole community knows. Uh, I mean, and, and in that culture, uh, it had impact on her husband also and his reputation in the community. No thought of any of that. All their thought was, we've got to prove we're right. When we get so locked in to proving we're right, I want to suggest we're wrong. When, when we just, when, when all we're there for. So, okay, my, my little rant about that's over. Uh, here's a faith walking lesson. So notice that they, Jesus is, is there and he's just teaching. So imagine you're the teacher and you're, you're, you've got this group of people and you're teaching and, you know, I mean, they're enamored with your teaching and things are going well. And then these religious leaders walk into the room with this woman that I can only imagine at best is wrapped in a sheet and says to interrupts and says to Jesus, Hey, we just caught this woman right in the act of adultery. Uh, and the Jewish law says to stone her. And by the way, the Roman law says the Jewish, the Jews couldn't stone her. So what they put Jesus in conflict was, was, was in conflict between the two laws. Uh, where was I going? Here's where I was going. So they caught Jesus off guard. And I, here's, here's what I believe. And in his, in his humanity, I think it triggered Jesus's anxiety. I think it made him anxious. Now, here's the faith walking lesson. What's the first thing he did? Tell me, Judith, what, what's the first thing Jesus did? <laughs> Seems like he took a deep breath and bent down and started just writing in the sand. There you go. Exactly. Faith walking all over the place. <laughs> exactly. That's faith walking. Uh, yeah, that's just basic faith walking. And yeah, I mean, Jesus demonstrated. Uh, so, so, I mean, I think often we don't imagine Jesus got anxious. I think he got anxious. But he managed his anxiety by bending down, doing whatever, even if he was just doodling in the sand. Maybe he wasn't writing anything that made any sense. He's just doodling. You know what he was doing? He was collecting his thoughts. 
and they and, and he didn't react out of that. So as a teacher, I often get anxious when people ask me out of the blue questions that I'm not prepared to answer. And, and my anxiety is about, oh my gosh, I've got to answer this. I've got to answer it now. I've got to answer it in front of all these people and it better be right. And, and there's just tons of, and, and how often I instantly go into giving an answer, even when I'm not prepared to answer, instead of pausing and thinking. In fact, I did it last week in one of my faith walking groups. I had an interaction with one of the men and, and it triggered some anxiety in me. And instead of pausing and collecting myself, I kept going and I ended up making a mess with this individual that I had to clean up this week. Um, so I love the fact that Jesus paused before he acted. And, and then when he collected his thinking, notice he didn't ever answer the question. He simply said, well, I tell you what, whichever one of you has never sinned, you get to pick up the first rock and go, go to throw. And, and then we have that re the rest of that, the rest of that story of they, uh, you know, they, they one by one left and went away. One more piece of faith walking that I think is deep and profound. And it, and, and this piece has transformed my life. Um, and it's where I started every sermon that I've ever heard about this had the emphasis on don't sin anymore. And, and it was always about, yeah, don't get caught in adultery. Don't make mistakes. Don't, don't go do what she did. And I'm not, I'm not completely sure that's all that Jesus was saying in that statement. So for, for you that have been through faith walking, if you've gone all the way through module six, uh, there, there's, there's a thought and some thinking, and I don't have time to teach all of that or even talk about all of that, but, it, but there's an author that's influenced me who says sin is shalom breaking. Y'all remember that? And that has completely captured my life. Um, and, and what is shalom? Shalom means peace. That's the way we, we mostly interpret it or translate it. But, it, but the, the broader meaning is wholeness. And so sin is breaking the wholeness. And whenever we break wholeness, we're sinning. And this woman and her husband and the man she was having adultery with all were, had broken wholeness in all their lives. And the truth is the scribes and Pharisees had broken wholeness by bringing this woman in front of Jesus. 
So even in their act of bringing her to Jesus and trying to condemn her, they were breaking the wholeness. And as we look in scripture, and there are a couple of places that are explicit in Luke, I think it's Luke 7 and 8 or Luke 8 and 9, but one of the two, there's two stories, and of, of Jesus, one of Jesus forgiving sin and one of Jesus healing, and Jesus makes this, this statement that if you've been around me very long, you've heard me say, because it has impacted me so, Jesus said to each of those people, your faith has made you whole. Now go in peace, or now go live into the wholeness that you've experienced. In John chapter 5 and verse 14, Jesus healed a man, and he, and he reminded him, you have been made whole. And then he said, now, don't, don't let sin come back into your life because there's no telling. And I'm, I'm, I'm using my, trans, my interpretation. Uh, don't let sin back in your life because when you do, the wholeness that you've experienced in your body is going to, it, it, the, it, you're going to be broken again in a variety of ways. So imagine when Jesus says, go and sin no more. He's saying to her, first of all, he said, where, where are the people here that have sentenced you and are ready to condemn you to death? Where are the people ready to execute you? Now, I'm going to meddle just for a moment and say, I wonder what it would be like in, in the, all I know is my country, in the U.S. of A., if we weren't so quick to execute people, but rather we said, okay, what about you and your sin? And, and the one that doesn't have any broken wholeness in his life gets to pull, pull the lever or shoot the uh, whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm off track. Let me get back on track. Jesus said to these people, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. And then when he, when he looked around, he said, where, where'd all the accusers go? Where are all the people ready to condemn you and, and sentence you? And she said, well, they've all left. And, and Jesus said this, well, I don't condemn you either. Did so a great question would be, do you think she's the only person Jesus said, I don't condemn you either? And, and remember, this story happened before the cross. So long before the cross, Jesus said to someone, I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. I don't sentence you to death. Just go. But go and, and do your best not to allow brokenness in your life any longer. So think for a moment, ladies, about what do you think drove her to commit adultery? Uh, more than likely. So I'm just going to speculate a little bit, and we won't, we won't go into all the technical details. But most of the adultery that I know is caused because people didn't have the emotional maturity to deal with relationships in their own life, and they triangle in someone else and have an intimate relationship with them because something is missing from the relationship of their life. And so I wonder if Jesus was simply saying to her, you know, 
maybe he knew, maybe he didn't know, but I, I know it was because of brokenness in your marriage that you, that you uh, fell into adultery. I don't want you to be broken. I want you to be whole. I want your marriage to be whole. And so when I send you away and say, don't sin anymore, I'm not saying just don't go have adultery with this guy anymore. I'm saying go home and work on your marriage and the wholeness of your relationships. Live a life of wholeness so that then your life is the way God designed it to be. So all of that gets stirred up for me when I read this story today. So does that stir up anything fresh for you? And if so, what is it? You can always answer that question, but now I'm going to put you all on the spot. No, I don't. Courtney, know. Courtney's ready. Yeah, I mean. The only, I think what kind of triggered in me just now is I'd never really thought about, you had mentioned, you know, not just her own shame, but just like the, the trickle down effect, like the impact on her husband and that, and that sort of thing. And, and not that this is necessarily adding to the conversation, but I guess it suddenly I was like, well, what, what does she do now? You know, how, how does she move forward? Because obviously her husband now knows. You know, right. I mean, is, is she even welcome just because of the culture? Is she even welcome back? You know, is there... Right. Is there any inability to reconcile? Is she now sort of, you know, dead? And and I mean, not not that we can answer any of these questions, but just from a cultural standpoint, like, mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, yeah. yes, Jesus will condemn her, but she's her right. life just got harder. Right, Courtney. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, you're right. All, all of that's true. And and I'm I'm saying this tongue in cheek, okay? But. But if I was Jesus in that moment, I would say, and, and I'm going to sign you up for faith walking module one, you and your husband, because y'all need to do faith walking so that you can experience wholeness in your life. And I'm teasing when I say that I'm overstating, it. but in that culture, they didn't have the tools that we have at our, our, uh, our available to us today. And, and, and that's why I think this stuff is so important. Not an answer to that question, but. Dawn, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, it's, it's a story like many of them in the Bible that I wish I had more of a conversation mm -hmm. um, because I'm sure more things were said and sure. um, I'd love to know what they were. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, that's me with all of them, you know. Okay. Oh my gosh. What happened to her? Where'd she go? Where was the husband? Where, where was the guy she committed adultery with? How in the world in that culture were they even, did they get away in a, in a community like that with adultery? You know, I mean, yeah. I, and there's so many questions I have about the whole thing. Um, but I still think there, there are good lessons for us. And I, and for me, the biggest lesson group is, well, I don't condemn you either. What, what if I took on the nature of Jesus more and, and didn't judge and condemn other people, even when, when I know they're sinning, even when I know there's brokenness in their life? 
Well, I want to come alongside and say, hey, you know, there is a better way. Wholeness is possible. And when you're ready, but, but hear me, I'm not condemning you. I'm not condemning you for all the mess and nonsense you have. I think that's how I see um, Jesus in this. It's that kind-hearted person who's inviting her into more. Like this is like the whole sin no more isn't a. Mm-hmm. It isn't a command in a way that's like that really strict putting on someone. It's an invitation into, you know, there's so much more life that you can walk yeah. away from. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I was just thinking about, like, what about if her husband was just standing around the corner and could hear how mm-hmm. Jesus was responding to her? Yeah. And if Jesus is saying, you know, I don't condemn you, what impact is that having on her husband? Mm-hmm. Um, and how does that change the way that he may react and respond to her? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean that, that that's it, Michelle, and it's so powerful. And 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 that's the question I think we always have to ask ourselves. How do I think Jesus would respond here? Um and, and am I in alignment with him? You know, if I'm the scribes and Pharisees in this story, Jesus wants them to have wholeness also. So, so if I identify with the scribes and Pharisees, if, I, if I'm in a hurry to prove my, I'm right, if I'm, if I'm in a hurry to, to prove that I'm more righteous or better than somebody else or, or whatever, whatever it is, Jesus wants wholeness for me also. I mean, I, so I can imagine Jesus saying to the scribes and Pharisees, I want you guys to go and sin no more also. Quit coming in, quit coming in here with, with, you know, trying to condemn someone. Uh, yeah, all of that. So would you play a little game with me? So I want you to think about the woman and all of you here other than me are women. They, they literally catch the woman in the act of adultery. And they drag her in front of the crowd that Jesus is teaching, in front of themselves, all of these scribes and Pharisees, and this spiritual teacher who they were opposed to, and they publicly shamed her and embarrassed her and condemned her, and ridiculed her. I know you're all empathetic, and as you empathize with her, what anxiety shows up for you? And what would that anxiety prompt you to to do? Do you understand where, where I'm going with this? I, I, I want so so put put yourself in the story. You're another, you're you're one of the women in the crowd watching this happen. I know you have empathy for the woman, and it makes you anxious. Do you want to go rescue her? In my case, want- I would want to protect myself. Like okay. as you're asking that question, I'm like, if I were anxious, 
I would be like, you know, invisible, don't come after me. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. Can, can, so what, what, why am I doing this? So what I'm trying to point out is we get anxious about all sorts of things all the time and without thinking we react. So I've seen this happen, men and women, it's not just the women, but I, so I get anxious uh, and empathetic and I want to go rescue her. <laughs> okay. Or I get angry and I get mad. And I want to scold the scribes and Pharisees, and I want to get in their face. So recognize all the ways we react out of anxiety. And, and even in somebody else's story, when somebody else's story makes us anxious, can we pause? Can we stop? And can we show up as the best version of ourselves based on our best thinking? Courtney, you were wanting to say something. Go for it. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, I think these are all really good thoughts. I don't. I think my. I think it's hard for me to put myself in the story. Um, okay. And so um, I think immediately what, what what triggers in me or what anxiety would be just like how it like would be a frustration towards the church and like sort of the misogyny that persists and the way that women are treated and the way that women are so looked over. Um, and, and so I think that's when I get, I get super anxious and triggered in that respect. I'm like, it's the yeah. perfect example, like mm -hmm. of of that sort of mentality being perpetuated even mm -hmm. in, in the way that we interpret scriptures and the way that we apply them in the church. Um, and that, that's kind of what starts to get really sort of triggered in me is it, make, it makes me want to sort of like condemn the conservative strain of church in general and, you know, mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, like just kind of, you know, dismiss sort of the, the, the patriarchal sort of, you know, church that I think continues to, and so I guess I just get frustrated and angry and, you know, I want to respond out of that and maybe not in a very constructive way, but just be very dismissive and, and blame and kind of, and just kind of write all that off and kind of, I guess my history in the church kind of is wrong and mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that honesty, uh, Courtney. And you're exactly right. I mean, so, so it, it was fascinating and, and this is not about you. I do the exact same thing you do. But you use the word condemn. I want to condemn the conservative church. When Jesus used that exact language here and says, I don't condemn you either. And, and just, okay, so, so how do we stand up for what we believe is right without getting so angry and agitated that we show up in a way that didn't, that didn't like Jesus? I, that's the challenge for me. And it's hard. But that's why I asked the question, just to recognize our own anxiety, even over issues like this. I think um, I kind of have the opposite reaction. Like when I think about okay. if I was in that crowd, I think I would have a hard time standing up or even being present. Like I would be so uncomfortable even watching that happen to someone else mm -hmm. that I would want to like leave and avoid the situation entirely, mm -hmm. not... Mm -hmm like mm -hmm. avoid, you know, the anger and stuff by right. like pretending that it doesn't exist, but kind of like, I don't even want to look at this. I don't even want to experience it because it's so like, I guess, so I don't get mad. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So just recognize group how we've had four or five different answers and they're all the, the four ways we react to anxiety. 
Some would choose conflict. Like, I'm going to fight you. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to yell and scream. Some are going to distance, run and hide. Some are going to overfunction. I'm going to rush in and rescue and take care of you. Uh, some are going to get paralyzed and be and, and, and uh, underfunction. And none of us brought it up, but probably all of us would run tell somebody the story and talk about it and try and go behind behind their backs, right? Uh, yeah, and and it just I, I guess what I'm wanting to highlight is is how rampant anxiety is and how we react out of our anxiety without even thinking so so many times. And 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 so managing anxiety is a, is an ongoing process. Yeah. Yeah, good good thought, Laura. Yeah, and it's making me think about um, what I shared with the group at the beginning of this call with the young woman who is just in a really hard spot and thinking mm -hmm. about, um, you know, what's our response to that? Um, she stopped going to class. She's, you know, not been showering regularly, just in my opinion, really significant signs of withdrawal and, and depression and anxiety. And um, so my concerns yeah. are huge for her. Um, but yes, I see the different players and how they respond to her. You know, mm -hmm. I haven't heard anybody say, well, you get what you, what you deserve, but I've seen people mm -hmm. just sort of turn away and say, not my problem. I can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, and then my my tendency to overfunction, like oh, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, Here's five okay, things please. we're going to do. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I get it. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, yeah. Jesus's extreme is extreme, um, but it's all around us in a lot of experiences that we all have. That's exactly right, and and so and so with the story that you that you shared uh, of this young woman. Everybody involved, uh, okay, what does it look like to calm our anxiety and not just react out of our anxiousness for her? Get to our best thinking so, so that we, you know, uh, yeah, and, and, and what does that look like? And, and, you know, and that's hard to get at, but, but that's important. I, I see often a lot of times Christian people, because we're empathetic and compassionate, we rush in to fix other people when that's not our job. And it's, and it's an anxious response. This had me thinking, sorry, Don, um, about ahead. the different types of anxiety. And I was thinking how I think frequently we even judge and condemn others based on how we manage anxiety. Like as mm -hmm. someone who is more freeze, sometimes people say, don't you care about this? Like, why aren't you angry? Right. Why aren't you standing right. up for something and stuff? Like, right. mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of ironic. Like in our exactly. own anxiety, we get mad at people because they don't have the same kind of anxiety as us. That's it. I, I was I was coaching a person yesterday. And I'm and, so spot on. <laughs> yeah. And we, we have the relationship. I, I mean, y'all don't know the, the place, but, but she's, a, she's a pastor. And, and that very issue came up because she's talking about uh, justice issues 
and uh, and and mercy compassion ministries in her congregation and how the justice people are always angry that nobody's angry about what they're angry about, <laughs> you know, and nobody does anything. And the mercy people are always irritate, irritated at the, at the justice people because all they want to do is yell and scream and, and they don't want to come, you know, uh, actually take care of feed the homeless out here. And, and there, and there's animosity between the two and, and you're right. And both of them are reacting out of their anxieties. And it was also fascinating that for the justice people, if the church would take on whatever the justice issue was, the justice people would be happy, even though nothing ever got done. But they were happy because the church at least addressed it and, and said, oh, yeah, that's an issue. You know, and, and so once they got to that point, OK, my hands are clean. You know, I don't need to do any more. It, it's just, yeah, all of that is really fascinating. I might be moving us to a, a little side tangent here, but that it makes me, <laughs> well, that makes me think about, um, you know, our, our churches are, are hurting um, in many ways, but one of the, one of the signs of that is fewer people in the pews. Yeah. And so I think about the justice angle of it um, and a lot of times my concern is that my church is very focused on social justice and change, which is, you know, good. And I, I mean, I'm not criticizing that, but then I think we forget that the reason people want to see justice and change um, and the reason that they come to church is to get something they can't get anywhere else. And that's the story of God's love for us. Um, and so there's that conflict that I, I often look at, and it's an anxiety response. I know, you know, that uh, we're, we're focused on, we want the same thing, but our response to it is definitely different. Right. right. What, what that stirs up for me, Dawn, uh, is I think, I think we, we gather in, in community to learn about God, but also we gather in communities to grow toward wholeness. And, uh, and then out of, out of our own growth and wholeness, then, and, and we want a whole world. And so we go and we, and we serve the world. And I think that, that many congregations have forgotten that growing in wholeness is our goal. And so we're not helping people become more whole. And so then they have nothing to share with the world. You know, that, that hey, yeah, God, God loves us. God doesn't condemn us. And God wants to restore our lives to wholeness. And, and all of us have these broken place, places that keep us bound up, tied up, and tied down. And God wants to free us from all of those things. And the more whole and free and life that I can experience, the more I've got to share with other people. That's what I believe. And I get a little passionate about it. Thank you for saying that. You're welcome.
Well, was that a little bit different twist on this story than you've heard before? Yeah, good. I like that. And it is fun to come to a story like this and start thinking about all kinds of faith walking principles. And by the way, I didn't even mention all of them. So, so one of them is Jesus created a boundary and, and said, uh, you know what? I'm not going to answer your question. I'm not willing to answer your question. But what I am willing to do is ask you a question. Uh, which of you is without sin? And if so, and this is what I believe. So I would put it in this language. Jesus basically said to them, this is what I believe. I believe it's okay to stoner if you don't have any sin. So whoever's without sin, you get to, you get to condemn her. And Jesus knew there were none of them without sin. Maybe you could uh, go over some of the other principles on a different talk, because with that same story, that would be interesting. Well, yeah, uh, I could do that, but, but they aren't really that many, Leslie. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not like I have five more and we could we could do uh, what what I would prefer to do is pick a new story and come oh, okay. at it with fresh eyes and and at, but ask the same question and yeah. see what principles emerge because they emerge over and over and over again. And I, now, I remember when you guys were talking, you know, you're talking about I, I the reason that I'm in the studying when I study to be a counselor is. I do believe there is, a, and I love the faith. I love the faith walking takes scripture and, and principles, but I feel like in church, there is something missing. People are not getting wholeness mm -hmm. internally. So yeah, that's sad. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I, and I totally agree. And it's, it's why faith walking was birthed. Yeah. Yeah. It's why it's it is why we revert. Courtney, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I think I've never I've never compared the story to like, or I've never noticed any comparison to the story regarding like um when when they they come and ask Jesus if, if he should pay taxes to Caesar. Mm -hmm. And for and now I'm suddenly see like some similarities to those two stories, just in the conflict between Roman law and Jewish law. Mm -hmm. which I think is it's just interesting like they they really weren't that creative like no, <laughs> no, no they weren't <laughs> like, <laughs> you know and then Jesus yeah maybe maybe he came back quickly or maybe he didn't come back quickly but he always came back he I, I think I, I think he's usually coming back with a question but I think it's right. just kind of like it's interesting to be able to draw some more parallels just to like other kind of other stories that that yeah. describes kind of try to take yeah, yeah, totally true. And, and, and the most challenging question that I, well, one of the most challenging questions that I asked myself, Courtney, is if I were alive during that time and was a devout Jew, would I have received and accepted Jesus? I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a challenge because Wait, I, but, but, but wait, I take the Old Testament law really seriously. And here, it, and it's like Jesus doesn't take it seriously. Well, wait, no, he can't, he can't be authentic. He can't be the son of God. He can't be the promised Messiah because he's not even willing to take the Old Testament law as seriously as I'm taking the Old Testament law. 
and it's just it's just a challenge for me and yeah uh so i try to have compassion for the scribes and pharisees because they were just living out of their first formation and out of their own mental models yeah i think putting now that i'm trying to put myself into the story i i wonder if i would just just be judgmental and be like i'm able to be like monogamous with my husband why can't you or or you know what's you know what i i'm almost like i think i might have been could have potentially i could have gone to the rescue but i also think i could have just been part of the judgmental sort of yeah yeah and and just trying to like keep women like out of the limelight, like stop making everything worse for us. You're a part of the problem, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Great conversation, group. Thank you so much for always showing up and engaging with me in it. Uh, you make it fun and you help me think. <laughs>